You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by RICO, your local guide for all things real estate investing in Colorado. What's up, Denver? Chris Lopez here. And today's podcast is all about buying a second vacation home in the mountains. So we're gonna play a fun game here today. And we're gonna go through all the stuff you know, like the nine points of what you know to go out there and buy a property. But the fun game is how much money will it take to get a property to break even? How big of a down payment do you need to make on a ski condo up in the mountains. So prices have gone up, interest rates have gone up, and we're gonna dig through four spreadsheets today and tell you all the numbers. And I am not the expert on this, but I do know the expert. So this is Amy Nakos, who's a agent uh, and investor in Breckenridge and does all of Summit County. And she is my go-to person for Summit, but also just everything in the mountains in general, because she knows if she doesn't know it, she knows the who that does. Amy, I'm glad to have you in the studio. Chris, I'm thrilled to be here. Yes. Thanks for having me. This will be fun. You know, yeah. It was uh, about five years ago, we did the first one. Um, that was like webinar 24. You were you were yeah. like an original on the podcast. And uh, five years, a lot has changed. It has. Look at your new digs. Yes, we have upgraded some. It's way upgraded. Yes. I think we I did it from my house and I had to buy a special microphone from you. Yes, and now, we made, you, you, yeah. now we made you come down and drive in the, drive in the mountains. <laughs> I'd rather do it this way. Right. It's fantastic. So, I mean, let's just, because you have your nine uh, considerations or nine points for considerations of mountain property living. And we'll go through all of that. Um, but let's start off with the first one, which is lifestyle. Yeah. So, and I we are, and actually Amy did this for me a couple months ago. I was like, hey, Amy, uh, you know, my wife and my family, we want to get into skiing. We're thinking about buying a second home up there. Uh, tell me about it. And as we were talking about, she's like, you are completely my stereotypical client, which is great. <laughs> so lay it out there because this is like the questions I'm asking is what a lot of the listeners are asking as well. Absolutely. You fell right into the middle zone of the of the typical buyer that yeah. I work with. So first of all, Chris, you deal with investors all day long, you've been dealt with them for many, many years. Yes. And when invest, when you're meeting with investors and they're looking at properties, they're not necessarily looking at it for their own lifestyle choice, right? It's about, is it going to make me money? Is it going to rent? How many people can live in there? All those considerations. When you're looking in the mountains, the beautiful thing about real estate in the mountains is it offers you and your family a lifestyle option to use that property and rent it out when you're not using it. And so that's a different, a completely different mindset for people. Now, when we get into the numbers, you're going to see it's more expensive, right? And, and the numbers don't work in the exact same way that many of your investments do, but it's about lifestyle. So who's who's my typical client? Now, obviously, they range across the board from straight up investors who are just looking to make a return to family legacies who they're just looking to place millions and millions of dollars and put it in the mountains. But Really, the the mainstream group of people I get is front range, family of four, two to three kids, you know, four and a half, let's call it. And uh, those kids tend to be just learning to ski or getting into skiing. These families, as you know, have experienced I-70. <laughs> and they've done it a few times and they want to give their kids this outdoor mountain lifestyle. But oh my gosh, coming home on a Saturday and it took us five and a half hours to get home all of a sudden they start to think, hmm, does it make sense 
for us to invest in a property in the mountains. So most of my clientele comes from the Denver Front Range, but we do have people from all over the country who look to buy in our area because it is a it's a world class resort. All right. So I think you you framed it so well as it's a spectrum. Mm-hmm. As with yeah. any property you buy for yourself or as an investment property, a lot of it depends on there. So we have that spectrum. We're going to focus on that stereotypical just family of four, which is me and all our listeners out there as well. So moving on to the second point here, which is the finances. And, uh, you know, let's get it out of the way. This is a million dollar question, like literally, because it's, you know, cost about a million dollars to buy a property up there. <laughs> That's true. And we want to see like, hey, what do I need to put down? What does it cost? What can the numbers bring in? And can I get the property to pay for itself or cash flow so I can so I can live for free, not live for free, but vacation for free up there, I should say. Um, so we're going to go through two properties here. We got a condo in Breckenridge. Yes, we have a two bedroom, yeah. two bath condo in Breckenridge. And so this is, a, it's called Ski Hill Condo. So it's at the corner of Park and Ski Hill Road. So if you know Brackett's, you know, right across from the first bank, right on the bus stop. Oh, yeah. So right there. Um, we'll talk a little bit about short-term rental regulations, but this unit does not have any regulations. You can get a short-term rental license on it. And we're only going to be talking about really short-term rental income and properties that can be short-term Okay. today. And so we got the Breckenridge and we got a property in Keystone yes. too, which is, uh, I think, a ski in, ski out. Yeah. Uh, well, you can walk to the oh, You can walk to it. Okay. So yeah. you, can, you can walk mm-hmm. to it. So it's we're going to start with run. the Breckenridge here. And we are going to be referencing some spreadsheets. So now I know a lot of people are listening to this or have it playing off on YouTube side. So we'll kind of talk the numbers, yeah. uh, but you can always download these spreadsheets as well. Uh, there'll be a link below or email me and Amy. And we can ping them off to you. But we are referencing some spreadsheets and feel free to grab a copy. So right. walk us. Yeah, just you're, I will. you're in charge. I'm going to drive the mouse. Okay, here, Amy. Well, I'm going to first take one step back and Perfect. just say this is my general rule for people. And I think I told you this, too. So if you're going to pay 100% cash on a property, we generally see a 2 to 3% return with short-term rental income. In the past, we said, okay, if, you're, if you want to get financing, 50% down, 50% LTV is where we saw a break-even. And if you were going to finance 80%, then you were going to be subsidizing the property. And I think that these spreadsheets, what has changed is prices went up, interest rates went up, the rental income also went up. So we're going to use these spreadsheets to give us a snapshot today of these are two properties that are actually on the market with current numbers, the best numbers we can pull. And I can talk about where we get the numbers and you can see how the numbers shake out. So we are first going to look at this Ski Hill condo. It's unit number 24. If I remember correctly on this one, it's sort of mid-updated. It's probably going to need some updates, but the purchase price on this is $925. We are assuming 20% down. So you're going to get a loan for $740,000. Your initial investment, $185,000. We're also assuming a 6.25% interest rate uh, on a 30-year AMOR mortgage. So Is that I know, about right? I, mean, I don't know. Because I know yeah. a year ago, I don't I don't deal with vacation markets. Mm-hmm. I know like a year, maybe two years ago, there were some changes to like the second homes and they made them more expensive. It's yes. all I take. But I don't, as I was going to ask you, I don't have, a, I don't have a, my finger on the pulse for financing up there. Yeah. So we're doing this as a second home as opposed to an investment okay. property. Which well, that's what most people do, right? Most people yeah. do that. It does tend to track primary home purchases. What I think we're seeing with the most recent rules um, and the LLPAs, the loan level pricing adjustments, is that you might pay more um, at the beginning in costs. 
for a second home. So there might be some additional fees in the on the front end. But let's just go with 6.25. When you share these spreadsheets with your clients or with, with all the listeners, um, you can change this. Yep. You can change this assumption. Yeah, we all know what interest rates are doing right now. They're yeah, changing. They are. They are. So um, that's what we're assuming. So go to the first page. And what this spreadsheet does is this is... Um, we, it's called an APOD, um, and which stands for annual property operating data. This is where you take all the numbers, expenses, income, put it all in here to actually make sense of it. That's what APOD stands for. That's right. And this one also assumes a 10 year hold. So we've got 10 years of uh, data with some assumptions in it, but let's just keep it simple for right now. And what this first page does is it gives you the snapshot of what you can expect in returns right away out of the gate. So we have, um, what we do for rental income is we often can get actual rental income. If the property has been short-term rented, we can pull that from the property management company. And if we can't, we can get projections from rental companies that say, we believe that this property can get this much gross annual rental. We speak in terms of gross annual rental. I get a lot of questions about how much can it rent per night? I don't know. Well, different for, rate Christmas than May 1st. Yeah, right? exactly. There's yeah. so many fluctuations. Yeah. Um, and that's the way I look at it to say, what's the what's the gross revenue on there? And exactly. And that's how we do it. Gross, uh, gross or revenue. Gross rental income. Yeah, gross whatever. rental income. Yep. 57,000. So if we scroll down a bit, um, you'll see that real estate taxes. Now, these are taxes this year, 2859. I think we can expect probably a 40 to 50% increase on that for next year. Should I so bump this up to? Like, it'd probably be five grand. I'm just going to just five grand for assumption purposes. Personal property taxes. If you do use your property as a short-term rental, the county will tax you on your personal property. Uh, Property insurance, we assumed 500. And then um, for utilities, now this is an actual number. So in this actual condo, you are going to pay utilities. That's probably electric. Okay. So about 1,700 bucks a year. 1,700 a year. Electric. Mm -hmm. HOA, 6,100 a year. Property management, 17,100. We take 30% of the 57. And then you can see that uh, your mortgage is figured in here too, your debt service. And so your cash flow before taxes is negative 28.6. So you're paying about $2,000 a month, a little over $2,000 a month to have this property. Yeah. So I know we went through a lot of numbers on there. Don't get hung up on the details. You can do this, but hey, for a profit, it's about $925,000. A 20% down payment at today's interest rates, and you factor in, you know, very typical operating data, you'll be paying about $2,000 a month. Uh, you'll be paying uh, paying the property with reasonable use, right? Like reasonable personal use. Absolutely. Not like I'm per- using it every holiday, every weekend, but reasonable use. I would say reasonable use. You know, okay. these numbers, when we get the actual rental numbers or the projections, oftentimes we assume, you should never really assume, right? But we often assume that it is being rented over Christmas and New Year's. That's the money time. That is the most profit you can make. So if you as a family are going to come use it for that entire two weeks, you're probably going to have to take some off of that number. Okay. If you're going to use it for a few days and rent it out the rest of the time, that's a that's about a reasonable number. So that's a great thing for people to know out there is to get these numbers like write out when you expect to use it and how much and run it by the PM company and have them help figure out what that does the numbers. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So $2,000 a month, like I look at this and like I said, you know, we, uh, we've known each other for a long time and six months goes, hey, I mean, actually we're getting to skiing just like you described. Hey, just 
or I'm really curious what numbers like up there. And you sent me stuff like this. And I'm like, wow. Okay, I'm gonna put down about say two hundred thousand dollars after down payment, some close uh, closing costs, and I'll be paying about two thousand dollars a month. I do not personally find that very enticing. Sure. Um, I would like to see the property break even, um, because in my mind, it's still hey the balance of it. I still have a little more investor use in my mind than yes. pure vacation home. My wife is pure vacation home. I'm like, well, <laughs> we got bounces out, honey, um, for a couple reasons. So, you know, we have, which is probably a pretty common thing for yeah. spouses, but we're at $2,000 a month-ish. Uh, so I have this reaction when you have this, when you talk to clients, what's the typical reaction from clients or prospective clients on here? That's a great question. Um, and I usually try to head it off at, at the very beginning, because when I have somebody come in and they say they, they want to do this, I say, what are your expectations of return? And they say, well, I'm hoping to break even. And I say, okay, well, how much are you looking to put down? Well, I'd like to get a loan. Are you going to use a property management company? Yes, because those are two the two main factors oh, yeah. in the income is the property management income. You see there at seventeen thousand. If you did it on your own, you'd be at eleven thousand. If I did it on my own, <laughs> the numbers would be way worse, Amy. Well, right. real here. <laughs> if Chris you, Lopez did, we'd be in trouble. And Chris, do you want another job? No, I no. know <laughs> most people don't want another job. So. Um, that's the big factor. And then, of course, the amount of the loan. We yeah. can see here the amount of the debt service is $50,000. Yeah, so $50,000 a year. Yeah. So, so um, what what do people say when they see that? They're like, oh, okay. Um, wow, either I have an extra $2,000 a month, that's fine. And those people are maybe thinking, well, I want the place for my own use and I'm going to hold on to it for a long time. This is a long-term hold for me. Yep. It's fine if it's a couple thousand dollars a month. I will make the money on the back end. Uh, the people who are more investor sensitive might say, yeah, I don't think that that's going to work for me. How much does it take? How much down is it going to take for me to break even? So we made that spreadsheet. Yeah. So I'm going to flip over here. And this is, we're using the honor system here, ladies and gentlemen, listening to this. <laughs> we need your guess in here and do your own drum roll and guess how much it takes to make this uh, condo break even on a cash flow. So the exact same spreadsheet, Amy, what changed on here? Um, what we changed on here is we changed the mortgage. Everything else stayed the same. So we Good. went in and we said, what would the mortgage have to be? And and I'd like to thank my assistant, Jennifer, for this, who actually tinkered down to the dollar to get this bottom line number to be zero. Yep. <laughs> and I sort of gave this away at the beginning with the speech that I give everybody. You know, what's what's the break-even number? And I always tell people, oh, about 50% down. Well, on this Ski Hill condo, Unit 24 in Breckenridge, it's 58.7% down. That's the number wow. that you need in cash to break even. So that is $550,000. Yeah. Um, $543,100. <laughs> I don't think $7,000 is going to make a difference for that buyer. Um so, I mean, we're talking a half million dollars here. Let's just ballpark it to go out there to have a property, I mean, essentially break even in cash flow. So right. two things to look at up here is, hey, what's this cash flow number and how much down payment does it take? But you alluded to a much more powerful like wealth building concept. Yes. And another way to look at an investing metric, which was, hey, in five years or 10 years, what's the long-term appreciation? What's the long-term benefits of real estate? which is way more than just cash flow. It's debt pay down, appreciation, and some tax benefits. And we can switch to that on this uh, spreadsheet as well, right? Sure, it's under the cash flows. So we're still on the 58% down payment. 
Right. And then, so at 50% down payment, you're going to be zero cash flow for the year. But when we factor this other things, walk us through this, Amy. So what this spreadsheet does is it assumes that you're going to get mortgage interest deduction on the entire amount of the mortgage interest you're paying. And so what that does is it shows that if you're at a 35% tax bracket, you'll have the tax benefit of $7,500. Now, I had, you know, I had this with a client the other day and he goes, yeah, but you can only do that if you have up to up to $750,000 of mortgages. You can't do it above that. And that particular client had 750000 in mortgages, so he wouldn't get that tax mm. deduction. So this is just specific. It's, it's depends talk to your on CPA. Your, talk to your CPA, of which I am not. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> not even close. So yeah, so it takes that into consideration. And then we have another page, I think it's called um, on the sales or the appreciation. We ran a a two, four, and six percent annual appreciation number. There and that's go. where you can get the final, you know, your final sale proceeds after 10 years. This is this assumes a 10-year hold. So 10 years. So let's talk about this. So after 10 years, if it appreciates, we'll go middle of the road, four percent. Yep. Um I would walk away with about $860,000 after, looks like paying for closing costs, some tax, wait, some- And capital gains. Some tax, yeah, some capital gains, some depreciation recapture. Um, and is this including, is this $860,000 profit or $860,000 then minus my initial investment? I don't know, actually. Um, is it taking off the mortgage on that? Yeah, so much for knowing my spreadsheet, but- um, I, I would have to look into that a little bit more, but... Oh, yeah, here's the capital gains. Yeah. So anyway, we can see here, this is, if you are going to make money off here, it's a long-term play. Again, really capturing on the long-term wealth mm -hmm. buildings of real estate. Again, some people, it works for them. Some people, it doesn't. Doesn't, we have no right or wrong. We are just giving you options out there. And as Amy said, here's the spectrum of things to look at. Yeah. Um, that did pay off the mortgage balance yeah. at 321. Yeah. Okay, cool. So it paid off. So you'd walk away yeah. with $860,000. So if you want to do a 1031 exchange, then you could use line 22 and that's the sale proceeds before taxes. Yes. So that'd be about a million bucks then. Yeah. So here, here's the bottom line. It's going to be, you know, if you buy a condo up there, it's probably not going to cash flow. If it does cash flow, you're going to be putting down 50 to 65%, it looks like. Um, and it's going to be a long-term play is we're going to actually make the profit aside from your day-to-day -day, like personal use. Exactly. Plus you have a place to go and have fun with your family. Yes. So these also these projections and the rental income is usually based upon about 120 to maybe 150 nights of rental per year. So that really leaves you with over 200 days that you can still use the property. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. If you own a business and you want to let your employees use it, that's something you can do. If you want to let your friends use it. So you really have a tool for fun and lifestyle that you don't have in other investments. Yeah. The other thing I'll mention is in Summit County, you know, we've seen tremendous appreciation from COVID. Um, and and obviously- What just, was the ballpark appreciation? Well, when I looked, um, I just looked in the packet we had here. And so like from 2018 to current, we went from 800 average to one three. Wow. Average, yeah. So okay. I, I don't know. I didn't do that. I mean, that's about a 50% increase almost. About 50, maybe 50 yeah. or 60%. Yeah. 
So yeah, a little more than that, actually. Yeah. Yeah. But it, when you compare average annual appreciation, we were always sitting at about 6.8 average. And um, with the jump over the last few years, it went to about 7.2. And that's back from 1992. Oh, wow. 1992 to current, you could expect 7.2% annual appreciation per year in Summit County. That's tremendous, right? Jumping into the market today, I don't know that we're going to continue that 7.2 because we had that run up. But I also, we just have such limited inventory and limited land that I don't think we're going to fall off the cliff. It's just going to plateau for a while. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's always like, yeah, what I look mm-hmm. at, I think they appreciation, how does it work out? But that makes sense. So should probably be flat for a little bit yeah. and then some more modest appreciation gains for next five to 10 years. Yeah, I would say, I would say give us a two to three years of just some modest gains, but then I think we're going to start to see it climb again. Yeah. And um, so if, if someone's looking to me and they, they have a three to five year play, I say, I don't know that this is going to be the right market for you. Um, but if they're willing, if they say, oh, I got a 10-year hold, a 15-year hold, I'm going to give this to my kids. I feel like you can't go wrong. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. All right. So here is the Breckenridge uh, condo on the bus route. Now let's jump over to deal number two, which is the Keystone uh, condo uh, that's walking distance to the slopes, I believe. Yes. So I'm getting the spreadsheet pulled up here. And again, I'm sitting here with Amy Nakos to go through a condo in Keystone to talk about what it looks like to buy a vacation home, but also Airbnb it out. So we're going to walk through the spreadsheet here. And again, you guys can download it um, or email us if you need a copy of here. But set this condo up. Let's dive in the numbers, please, Amy. Expedition Station is a condo building in Keystone's River Run. So if you ski at Keystone, this is the area that's at the base of the gondola. This is one of the buildings that was built in the late 90s. Uh, as part of the whole development down there. So Expedition Station is a, is walking distance to the gondola and the lift. It is not ski in, ski out, but it is right in the River Run area. I love this building because it has its own parking garage and it has its own pool. The rest of the River Run buildings all share, but this one is off to the side a little bit. So it's mm. a little more private and easier access. Two bedroom, two bath, 890 square feet, $955,000. We're assuming a 20% down payment of $191,000 with $764,000 in mortgage. Again, we did a 30-year on this, uh, 6.25. When my assistant and I pulled this together, she's like, Amy, the rental income's the same as the ski hill condo. <laughs> I said, interesting. She goes, yeah, we're, I'm just going to use the same rental. So we're at $57,000 for this. Really? Yes. Interesting. Okay, so about fifty-seven. About fifty-seven thousand. So, it, with with these two bedrooms that are in resort, you're going to be anywhere from like forty to sixty. So this is on these two are on the higher end because of their their great location. Okay. Okay. Um, real estate taxes twenty fifty-seven. Again, we should probably, probably assume that. Some. Yeah, we did the same assumptions of personal property taxes and property insurance. What's a little bit different on this one is this one doesn't have any utilities. The HOA covers all utilities. Um, but the HOA dues are higher. So we're at 11412 for so HOA $1, dues. $1,000 a month for an HOA. Yes. So the HOA in this building covers everything. Okay. Cable, internet, pool, workout room, underground garage, all the shoveling, all the exterior maintenance. So when you start to think about that electricity, heat, you're not paying any of those things. That's all part of your dues. Um and then property management again, we did 30% of 57, which ends up being 17,000. 
So what we're seeing the difference on this one is this one ends up being 31,000 annual carrying costs. And the, the difference is literally the HOA from the ski hill condo. So yeah, it's the HOA of what, 400 bucks a month and a slightly higher price point. So again, about 2000 maybe $1,200 a month in negative cash flow. Right. And that's just with pure cash flow. Now let's jump over to that other, I think that's in, which tab is it? I think it's this tab right here for once you actually figure out the mortgage interest deduction. Yes. Uh, again, if you always talk to your CPA, if you have that, but this part of the spreadsheet goes through and adds in some more of the other benefits of real estate. And we add in the savings and the potential savings and tax liability, about $17,000. You're at about $14,000 in negative cash flow. So only about a thousand bucks a month. That's right. So I'm curious. Um, actually, I'll save this question. Let's go to the break even. Now I actually want okay. to dive in this. So going over to the break even one again, well, another drum roll here. <laughs> How much will it take to break even? Uh, my guess is probably going to be pretty similar to the Breck condo. Well, it is because really our difference in this one was the amount of HOA dues. Yeah. It, you, we were just paying higher HOA. So our cost per month was, you know, three, 4,000 more a month. So in order to break even on this, you need to put down almost 64%, 63.96, I think that says. Yeah. Yeah. Just we'll say six, 60% and change. 60% and change. Yes. Only 60% down payment, guys. <laughs> Only 60% down payment for, for zero in cash flow to break even. And then when you look at the other benefits from the tax savings, it would be about $8,000 a year positive uh, gain from the, the potential tax savings on there. Right. So right now, I mean, I'm, I know it has, you have this conversation probably daily, Amy, um, on through this. What do most people say or do after kind of getting this reality check in today's market? Today's market shifted things with interest rates. I do feel like a lot of people are sitting on the fence and waiting for interest rates to go down. That's that's something that um, has slowed our market pretty dramatically. But it, it literally depends on their individual financial situation because there are many people who will pay the $2,000 a month and look at the, look at it long term. And there's other people who would just who will just say, "I don't have the two thousand dollars a month." Yeah. And and there's, is there a way, is there a way to make the numbers different? The only way, if you're getting a loan, to make the numbers different is the property management. So, can you do it on your own? Yes. Have people done it on their own? Yes. Is it hard? Yes. But some people just are really good at it. But that's got to be the minority of people up there. I imagine that would enjoy it and be good at it, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm it's, just, I'm curious. One out of 10. Okay. 10%. 10%. It's yeah. actually higher than I thought. Really? Uh, yeah. I just, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, you, I'll get about one out of 10. One out okay. of 10. Now, the, with Airbnb and VRBO or Verbo, I used to call it VRBO, now they call themselves Verbo. Um, people can do it on their own. It used to be that property managers, management companies were brick and mortar buildings that advertised through Google AdWords. And now that you can get on Airbnb and Verbo, you can you can do it on your own. Um, but there's a there's a lot of tips and tricks to it. There, I'm sure you have a podcast on that, right? Well, we have, <laughs> number we, we, we know it down here in like the Denver metro area. Yeah. I, I imagine that lots the same, but there there are nuances up there as well. Like di different markets and real estate's always local. Um, yes. you know, it's always, always local in your backyard. 
Um, so I would, uh, yeah, defer to, I mean, defer to you guys up there, but keep in mind, like, Hey, you were doing the Airbnb. You were starting a hospitality business. Yes. That's why I was telling my clients, Hey, you're doing this. You're not investing. You have a hospitality business for bread and bed and breakfast. Yeah. And personally, that scares the heck out of me. Um, <laughs> I do not want to do it, but I love paying other people so I can go do it. All right. So let's um, let's move on to point number three, because you started talking about this and I'm going to yeah. jump around here because you've got these nine points. But you started talking about property management companies. So yes. this is point number three in our nine point mountain checklist for the Rocky Mountains here. Uh, and the third one is property management companies. And you were just starting to talk about it's about 30 percent for a yeah. property management company to handle it for you. And some people do it themselves. Yes. So walk us through just, you know, what people know about that and what to look for in a PM company. Great. We have a lot of property management companies that do short-term rentals in the mountains. And I generally refer people to them based upon the location of their property. Because as you can imagine, with all real estate being local, different property management companies are going to specialize in certain areas, right? You're not going to want a property management company with um, wh where all their services are in Keystone managing north of Breckenridge or, you know, or south of Breckenridge. Yep. It's going to be too hard, right? So many of them tend to be pretty hyper-local. So that's how I recommend. Um, the big thing I think to think about, there's a lot of things to think about, but one thing that I think is important is... For instance, if you go through the Vail Resorts property management, so Keystone property management at Keystone would be a good example. They rent their condos not based on the unit itself, but on a gold platinum level, for instance. So you're in a rotation as opposed to having your condo rented out on its own merits. Oh, okay. Okay. So that's that's something kind of important to think about. If you have a beautiful, super updated unit, then I would go with a more boutique property manager who's going to market my unit. Because you'll get the premium aspect. Yep. And people will pick it. Yes. If I have a Keystone condo that's still $19.99 original, I might go with Keystone property management because I just mm -hmm. know it's going to be in the rotation and it's it's going to get rented. Um, in terms of fees. It ranges anywhere from 10%. There's some companies doing it for 10% of the gross revenue all the way up to 50%. And the, the, the variety of factors is everything you can possibly think of from um, what, if you get charged for different types of maintenance um, or not, right? The marketing, do they have an office or not? Do they have people who are in-house to fix things or not? So... I always just recommend that when people are getting into this, they look at each property management company and talk with the owners and talk with people who are going to be managing the property and see what they're most comfortable with. But for purposes of analysis, we usually use 30% because that's about what people are charging. That's what I've always heard from my my friends who have properties up there. They always say it's 25 to 30% is kind of the rule of thumb I've heard. Yes. Um, and something else, like you, you brought up a good point here is like, hey, depending on the location, depending on the price point, talk to property management company. And just as a general thumb, whether you're buying an investment property down here or buying a, a property in the mountains, like so many people kind of drop the ball on the property management side. I did when I first began out because, oh, what's the buy numbers? What's the buy numbers for the buy numbers? The other half of the coin is what's the operational aspect about it? And that's your PM or you yourself. So the, yeah. the PM, man, do your due diligence and make sure it's a good PM and the PM approves of the property. Absolutely. And that property manager, we can often get them in to look at the property when you're under contract. As they should be, yes. Yes. 
but but I think what you're saying is so true. And I hadn't really thought about this because buyers are so focused to the close that they don't think about the main the maintenance of it and the actual management of it uh, after after they own it. So yes. So we have we have a lot of great recommendations. There's great companies in the mountains who do it. And it's like anything, some some places and property management companies are really going to shine and others you might just get thrown in a pool. So you have to, like you said, we just got to do your due diligence. That's We can end the conversation on that. And do that, your due diligence. Yes, <laughs> o- always do that. No matter when you buy a property, if there's property management involved, uh, if they're not walking the property order in a contract, um, that's a red flag to me. Get them out there, walk the property. You want them having the eyeballs on there. That's right. All right, let's go to number four here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump around a little bit on this because okay. I, I really want to ask this question because this has been, been very fascinating to me about the potential of new construction in the mountains. Sure. Because as I've talked to you know you over the years, other agents, other investors, we talked through these numbers and I just went through this myself where I was like, well, I could you know plunk down essentially $200,000, um, which is a lot of money to have locked up that in, in equity and then you know pay $2,000 a month. And I did them and was like, wow, that's that doesn't fit for me. I'd rather like either pay, uh, don't wanna do that right now or I'd rather rent out myself. But I've had lots of people tell me Hey, look at new construction because it sounds like that might be a really sweet opportunity for a lot of uh, people up there. And I want you, because you're like the best expert I know, to set me straight. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to simplify this the best I can by saying that um, new construction pockets are not everywhere. And that's just based upon the availability of land. Yes. So most of the new construction we're seeing is in Silverthorne along the highway north to Kremling. So that's Highway 6 or Keystone. Those are the two places that have developable land that can do larger projects. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't find smaller projects, for instance, in Frisco or Brackenridge, um, but those are going to be higher price points. Um, they're just bigger products. So Keystone and Silverthorne are the condo markets. Back when, um, you know, back a few years ago when new construction pricing was being released, I'm going to give an example of a project in Keystone called Clearwater Lofts. Okay. And those went under contract. It was a fight. It was a frenzy to get new construction under contract, right? And that developer put them under contract, built them all, and everybody has a great amount of equity in them right now. They're they're being flipped for hundreds and thousands of dollars more. Can that happen today? I don't know, right? Because like we talked before with appreciation, um, you can still get in and get some good new construction opportunities. You're not paying for it all up front. You're putting down a deposit. You're putting down a certain percent. You're waiting for the property to be built. So as time goes on, you have the benefit of that appreciation. Um, And... But is the appreciation going to be as much? I don't know. I'm going to say probably not, but I got so surprised in the last few years with what happened with the market. I would have never. Probably never, not, but I have a crystal ball. Uh, probably not, that, but I don't have a crystal yeah, ball. Yeah, I, I, that's, that's my, my general sentiment mm-hmm. as well. So, and I want to back this up as well, because I mean, like you, um, you know, for a lot of people, like you really know the construction because you have developed some projects yourself. Yes. Give us the quick resume of what you've done up there because I don't want to uh, screw it up, but I know you've done some impressive projects. Thank you. Um, so we built a four-unit townhome complex back in 2006. I still live in one of them, sold three. 
we just finished a five-unit townhome complex in Frisco. And so that that is completed. And so that was a um, like about 13,000 square feet total with five units. Oh, good size. Yeah, yeah it was big. Um, and then I represent, I've represented builders before. So um, uh, one of the projects that I worked on there and that will con- I will continue to work on is a project called The New Seasons at Keystone. And that is a project that's, we we have finished, I'm going back in my brain, 16 units of 40. So we have 24 left. Great. Thank you. And so you guys can see here, like Amy knows it from like developing herself, mm-hmm. doing herself and represented a lot of builders as well. So like, yeah. this is why I wanted your opinion on here. So yeah, I, the other thing I want to say yes. about new construction is you have to expect at a price per square foot, at least $1,000. And that's going to be in Silverthorne. Um, some of the Kindred units, which is the big projects that, that's going in at the gondola. That's like the ultra luxury one. Though, right? Ultra yeah, super yeah. luxury, setting new records. I mean, that's a couple thousand dollars a square foot. I'd have to go back and look at that. But they they were sort of setting records on the square foot price and they're getting it, but it's a product that we haven't seen. Well, it's like three to $4 million for a three bedroom. Is it is I, almost $4 million okay. for a three bedroom. Yeah, like it is very high priced. It is very it looks high. looks amazing. Price. And the dues <laughs> will be high too because you're part of a giant yeah. project. Um. So just just set yourself up for that. So if I'm going to want a a two bedroom, let's just say that's about a thousand square feet, probably one point two in Silverthorne. You're probably looking at about twelve hundred a square. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned uh, was that mostly for condos or about single family homes? So single family homes, we single family homes. There's not really a tract of land other than Summit Sky Ranch where single-family homes can even be built. So okay. if you're looking for a new single-family home, you're probably already in an existing neighborhood. It might be a teardown or something like that. We just don't have land left. Yeah. But um, Summit Sky Ranch is finishing up about, I, I don't even know that I want to say this on the record because I don't know the exact number, over 200 homes. And then I think they're going to do another phase with maybe another 200 homes. And that is one developer who's building an entire development Um of similar looking homes with a beautiful clubhouse and great amenities. But for those, um, one just came on the market the other day, four bedroom, $3 million. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So moving on to another point for the mountain considerations. Let's jump to what is happening with the short-term rental rules up there for our fifth one. Uh, Because I mean, we all know, you know, mountains are very popular short terms. Um, and I know the last couple of years, uh, Summit County has gone through so some massive changes here for how the short-term rental market is working. So Amy, yes. tell us what is going on up there because a lot has changed. A lot has changed. And I'm going to condense this the best I can because I have a number of videos and articles and I talk about this a lot. My The best way to summarize it is if you're coming into our market, we have six different jurisdictions that govern short-term rentals. So you first have to figure out what jurisdiction am I in? Ugh. Okay. So the, juris- the jurisdictions are the towns. We have Breckenridge, Frisco, Dillon, Silverthorne, Blue River. Five towns. If you're not in the town limits, you're in Summit County Unincorporated. Okay. That's the sixth jurisdiction. So rules vary in in all the different areas uh, to give you some examples, both Copper and Keystone have no restrictions. They fall under Summit County Unincorporated, but the Board of County Commissioners said, 
their resorts. 100% of the properties can have licenses. So if you're looking and you know you want a short-term rental, just start at Copper or Keystone. Okay. Breckenridge is split into four zones. And that whatever zone you land in in Breckenridge depends on if there's short-term rental licenses or not. Two have licenses left, two do not. Frisco's out of licenses. You got to get on a wait list. Dylan's not, Dylan's has no restrictions at the time. And Silverthorne, it depends on where your property lands. And I've heard some like pretty astronomical numbers for like the wait list. <laughs> yes. Um, is like the 10 plus years accurate? So it depends again. Let's talk yeah. about what jurisdiction. Well, yeah, for Breckenridge, I guess, specifically. <laughs> yeah. So for Breckenridge Zone 2, we're probably looking at five to 10 years for a license to become available. And Breckenridge Zone 3, uh, probably 30 years. Wow. For a short term. Yeah. I mean, there was literally a woman arguing with the town council saying, well, my name's on this list, but I'm going to be dead. So for oh, oh, for my <laughs> for my name on the list, like, can I leave it to my heir? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so again, this is uh, a really important thing to do. Obviously, there's a lot of different jurisdictions, a lot of like layers of complexity up there with doing mm -hmm. this. But like again, before you buy the property, you want to know these rules. I have seen people down here in Denver Metro buy a property and then, oh, oh, I can't do this here, a short-term rental, I can't do this. Like, make sure you know the rules uh, before you buy the property um, because you want to make sure you can do what you want to do with the property. Is that right? Yeah, because yes. I don't think they say, oh, well, I bought this and I thought I could do this. They'd be like, all right, well, tough luck. Yeah. Or you can do it and get in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I imagine they're the enforcement that uh, they got to have, I mean, enforcement is going to happen because all the data is public. Like they have it out there. Mm -hmm. Like that's got to be enforcement. Uh, they're going to force on that, right? I I think absolutely. Yeah. And this is all new in the last probably year. Okay. So we're still, we're still adjusting to it. I mean, obviously I know the rules and there's a lot of good brokers up where I live and we know the rules and we can help people understand where you can and can't rent. But I think the bigger question is, in places where you cannot get a short-term rental license, how are we seeing those prices soften? Oh. And that's what we're tracking. You know, that's what I spent a lot of time. What are you seeing in that? Well, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, because when you take out the ability to short-term rent, you've taken out, in my estimation, probably 75% of the buyer pool. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So in one area, and for example, in wilderness, so that's Silverthorne, but it's Summit County Unincorporated. So okay. you're, you're not going to be able to get a short-term rental license there. The county says five years, I say probably 10. Um, but we're seeing pricing prices soften maybe 10 to 15% so far. And the rules went into effect, um, gosh, I think November. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the other areas, are you seeing that dramatic for the client or some more just kind of like flat? It's hard to say. You really have to slice and dice the data yeah. in a way that um, that I haven't done. Some people have. Um, I think what we're seeing more is uh, just really increased days on the market and price reductions. And so, I don't know. I'll get back to you on that when we really see that how the numbers hit. I'm telling people I've got to see what happens over the summer because summer's our high selling season where the majority of our sales happen. So right now we have some data points, but summer's where we get all our data. Okay, so this will really tell us. Where this is going to tell the tale, yeah. Okay. All right, well, let's move on to point number six here with our nine-point uh, mountain property consideration checklist with Amy. Uh, let's talk about HOAs. Sure. Because down here in Denver, whenever we talk short-term rental, we say, hey, here's the rules. 
And then look at the HOA. So I imagine HOA or HOAs are more friendly in the mountains, but I don't want to make the assumption. So talk to the HOAs in terms of short-term rentals and just HOAs in general. Sure. There's a few HOAs that have some short-term rental rules, but not very many. So I wouldn't worry too much about that. You're going to figure out what the short-term rental licensing situation is at the outset. But what I like to talk about with homeowners associations is when you're in the mountains, you have more condos, right? Because we're at the base of resorts. And so you don't see single family homes at the base of a mountain. Well, maybe in Beaver Creek, but you don't see them here in Summit County. So lot you're going to have a homeowners association if you have a condo you're probably going to have a homeowners association if you have a town home also so what we'd like to talk about with that is your dues are going to be higher period than than what you think it's going to be than what it is in Denver and the reason is one it often covers more things we have homeowners associations that go out and get internet for everybody it's easier to have internet for the whole building than to have 100 units called Comcast right oh yeah oh my gosh right? Uh, Cable. We'll get cable TV for everybody. Snow removal. This is my favorite topic, snow removal. It is a huge line item on every homeowners association because not only do you have to get the snow moved, but it doesn't melt. It doesn't melt for the entire winter. So as it continues to snow, continues to snow, you have to pay to have some of that snow moved off site. Like actually putting a truck in this move? Yes. Mm. That has to happen a lot. Um, Really? You sometimes have to have people get on the roof and shovel it off the roof. And that's really expensive. So snow removal ends up being a large portion of HOA fees. You're also going to have highly amenitized buildings, pools, hot tubs, heated walkways, things that cost a lot of money. So just be prepared for higher HOA expenses in the mountains. But you also will find that sometimes it includes everything. So when you start to strip away, well, I don't have to pay for trash. I don't have to pay for cable. I don't have to pay for internet. I don't have to pay for these different things that ends up being stomachable is that a word <laughs> it is now <laughs> well when you put it like that like I, I find uh i know a lot of people have like a a very strong disdain towards hoas yeah. i don't know i'm a lot more in the middle on that but like for mountain properties i'm like wow an hoa seems wonderful to have so i own the property directly i don't have to worry about shoveling snow or hiring someone or the liability of it or anything like that or mm-hmm. hey the trash going on tuesday or whatever it is is like you know if i'm using it Either for Airbnb, I want it hands off. Or if I go up there, I just want to go up there, turn the lights on and go do my thing with my family. So like, I find HOAs extremely attractive because um, they handle all that stuff. They do. It, yeah. and, and they're essential. It's yeah. truly essential to making these buildings run. So I like them too. It also keeps consistency within a project too. So that you you know that the roof is being handled. You oh, know yeah. that the exterior is being handled. Um, if there's going to be a restain you know it's going to match. It's not going to be like those homes in Idaho Springs, you know, where like they're the duplexes and they're two different colors. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's character. I know, but that's the part I always make for why do we have HOAs? I said, well, when you drive through Idaho Springs. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> oh, that's funny, but it's true. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about, moving on to our seventh point here, Amy. Um, I'm really curious how COVID has affected pricing for the resort areas. Uh, because I, from what I recall, COVID happened, a lot of people froze, some people dumped properties, and then you guys just went gangbusters. Like, we went gangbusters, but you guys went gangbusters squared down here compared to Denver, it seems. We did. We did. So I always used to say that our market trailed Denver's market 
12 to 24 months. You did say that in the first webinar. I, did. I remember that. Yes. And I actually listened to the original webinar to remind me of what I actually said so I could correct things today. <laughs> but I did say that, but that's not true anymore. Yeah. So we, you know, we used to really just be a feeder market from Denver. What I think COVID did to our market and to so many other resort markets is we became the, I call it COVID refugees. Like we became the place where people could go like nationwide, and res- right? and nationwide yeah. to a resort market to enjoy the outdoors, to be in a small community and to not be in, you know, large cities with a bunch of restrictions and rules. So I think that changed the entire way that I look at our market in that I used to just think about, oh, we track the Denver economy, but we now are not only a national, but an international place where people will go to to recreate because it's right outside your door. So what did it do to the pricing? I mean, I think I told you from uh, 2018 to 2022, you know, our average price went from 800 to 60 some percent increase, 60 some percent increase. So we saw um, 2021, 22. um, I'd have to pull the numbers in this booklet, but um, don't worry. So what she's referencing here is uh, every quarter, right? Your castle, every every this is every six months. Every six months. Yeah, your castle publishes really good uh, uh, mountain trends data. So if you guys want a copy, you know, hit us up. We can give you a physical one or email, but that's what she's pointing to. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really good data. Yes. Uh, it has everything in there. Yeah. So for the last half of last year, we went up 15%. Well, I mean, actually last year. So 21, January 21 to December, January 20. So all of 21 versus all of 22, we went up 15%. Wow. Okay. But before that, the year before, I think it was 27 Okay, that was if I re- if big, I remember, yeah. yeah, that was a bigger year. So, if you're to look overall, you can say, oh, it was sixty percent or it was fifty percent. But what this booklet tells me is what it was per year. So overall, well over fifty percent increase. So I want to kind of talk about the flip side here because I think you know the uh, the, the the COVID boom of you know uh, work remote yes. uh, has you know that that leash is being tethered back. And I remember, I think it was one of the Your Castle meetings, uh, maybe earlier this year or last year, you made some comment like, hey, a lot of these people came from nationwide, from Texas, New York, they moved out here to love skiing, and now they're in like year two of shoveling snow, nine months of the year. Um, and you're like, a lot of people are getting tired of it. Yeah. And so it, are, are we going to see prices drop from COVID or like a mass exodus of all of these people that came in? Or do you have a crystal ball that tells you the answer to that, Amy? My, my thought on that is there weren't enough of them to move the needle if they're leaving, right? And they're probably going to still hold on to their property and rent it. But what I did see is a lot of people who came up here to work remote or uh, I I don't, my office is closed. Let's just go live in our mountain condo. They're all home already. They all went back. Like they put their kids back in the original schools. They went back to their jobs. They went back to their lives. So they had a primary residence up there for like a year or two, essentially. Now moved away and probably converting it to a vacation home or rental then. They could, or they might be selling it if they can't get a short-term rental okay. license. But Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I don't know that we've seen enough density of that to to soften prices. Okay. I think it's one factor, but it's not the factor. Yeah, probably just one that really is going to move the needle. Yeah, it's not going to okay. move the needle. All right. So moving on to a number eight here. I want to talk to you about the rental income aspect of it mm-hmm. here. We've talked about this through a couple of the, a couple of the nine points we have here for the, nine, the mountain property considerations. But for rental income and investment realities, um, what are the basics that people need to know in terms of that? 
Sure. So I think we covered the specific numbers. The one thing I want to add to this, um, and the specific numbers we talked about were for short-term rentals. Now, we can pull numbers on that all the way from studios to giant homes, and you can see how those numbers might differ. It really depends upon the buyer's budget and their own individual needs. Um, a few a few guidelines. Yes. For investors, properties that work the best tend to be studios or one bedrooms close to the lift. Why? Because they cost less. Two, the HOA dues are lower because you're paying on a square footage basis. And three, they rent a lot. And so you probably cram four to six people in there. Right? I, well, I don't know. All right. I have done that in the past. <laughs> they could. They could. But the studios and the one bedrooms um, tend to perform a little bit better. Okay. I think you'll also see within the product type, we have a, a more two bedrooms than really any other property type. So when these projects get built, most are two bedrooms, right? Mm, yep. So when you are renting it, you are in competition with a lot of other two bedrooms, whereas the one bedrooms and studios will have less competition. Interesting. Yeah. That makes sense. And I would really, this is this is the Amy Nakos theory. Um, I think it's right. But property managers who actually rent an entire, you know, hundreds of units will be able to give you even more specifics on this. But when I run the numbers, studios and one bedrooms are just going to do a little bit better. The other thing we haven't talked about that needs to be talked about is long-term rental. So Is that even a thing in the mouth? It is a total thing. We have such a sh- housing shortage right now. So we have a really high need for long-term rentals, but they don't make as much money as short-term rentals. So for people who um, maybe have a property and they've owned it for a while, and maybe they're not ready to sell, and maybe they don't want to deal with short-term rentals anymore, and maybe their basis is low enough, I always say your backup plan is to put a long-term renter in there because you will find somebody and it will rent. So now the numbers, it's not going to even come close to the numbers that we talked about with the short-term rentals, yeah, it's I not mean, going to be 60, that good. 60000 bucks a year? No. I mean, it'll, it'll... What would... Okay, so do you even know this? Like, what would like a... Yeah, like, we just went through two uh, two two-bedroom, two-bathroom condos. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, and we estimate about $57,000 a year in gross short-term rental income. Yeah. What would that rent as a long-term rental, do you know? So, as probably like 2400 Wow. Okay. Yeah. So then let's just say it's 2000. So you're at 24,000 and our net on this was 30 something after, um, yeah. after taking out the 17,000. So, well, 57 minus 17, about 40. Yeah. So in order to have something to have similar income with that, if you're at, let's just say you're even at 36, you'd need 3000 a month. And I think it would be, it'd probably be tough to get that. Okay. Yeah. So, so you're, yeah. you're going to do better on the short term, but, and you get to use it. Yeah. That's the that's the kicker. Everybody wants to use the property and rent it out when they're not using it. So if you put a long term renter in, you have zero use. Hasn't I've seen uh, I've read articles about this. I haven't kept up to date on like the timelines or specific municipalities, mm-hmm. but there's been I know a big push towards having you know some type of housing, affordable housing for all the you know all the workers up there, yes. all the ski patrol. That like um, is that going on right now? A lot of initiatives are happening. There's okay. there's different incentives to owners to uh, put locals in long term. Um, we have projects that are in the works with different government municipalities who are going to be building new affordable housing projects. But that really the flip side of that is it was the impetus for all the short term rental rules is to try to save locals housing. Yeah, they'll come back and say no, that's not really we're that's not really what we intended to happen. But that's how it all started. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. All right. So short-term rentals, definitely the way to go up there. Uh, long-term rentals, uh, a distant plan B. I think it's a distant plan B. Uh, people, people who, like I said, people who've owned their property for a while and who have a low basis, um, they can still make money and not have to deal with the short-term rental. Yeah, and, but if you yeah. got a million-dollar property and you got a lot of equity in there, then they need property llama. Yeah, you guys need to sell need that, to pull, man. And they need to pull out the equity yes. and go do something. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> Um, that's a different podcast another day, <laughs> but that would be a great problem to have. Um, all right. Last but not least, yes. we got number nine here on our nine point checklist with you, Amy, uh, about inventory and demand. Yeah. And this has just, I mean, you know, in the front range nationwide, uh, everyone's just complaining about an inventory shortage. Yeah. What's it like in the mountains? Well, it's changing. So, you know, as of the date of this podcast, we are seeing some more inventory hit the market and things are moving slower, but historically still incredibly low, incredibly low inventory. Um, I think that, again, summer's going to tell the tale. We're doing this podcast in May and, you know, I'm going to see this summer how inventory hits. June is our highest listing month. So... Through August or September, I'm going to see how does how is it getting absorbed? What's happening with the pricing? But during COVID and during the height, like you guys experienced here in Denver, I mean, our average days on the market was two. No, two. Wow, two. <laughs> I mean, we were running, we were running so fast just to get an offer in because you didn't have more than two days. Oh, yeah. you know, doing video showings, it was it was crazy. So. Um, I think we're actually moving into a more balanced market and into the way it actually should be. Good. Because when you work in that environment, your brain gets attuned to it. And now you're saying, well, it wasn't like it was then. Well, it shouldn't be. And it never should be again, because that was really crazy. Um, we're, we'll probably end up seeing two to three months on the market holding time, days on market, which is, again, about right. Okay. Um, but we, we still... Um, still have low inventory and um, still pretty high demand given the fact that our um, our buyers come from around the country. So we literally have people waiting for certain property types to hit to purchase. Out of your, like, out of your client base mm -hmm. or client profile, is it, I mean, what's the rough percent of like front range versus nationals? Yeah, uh, generally about 75% front range. Okay. And the other quarter is about national. national? Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then I have some locals in there too. Yeah. Where I'm helping locals. Okay, but vast majority is front range. Vast majority. Okay, that's what I thought. All right, so it sounds like uh, Summit County and the mountains mm -hmm. in general are dealing with the same thing. Um, still in the seller's market, moving hopefully more towards a balanced market, uh, but overall, even from like a macro perspective, still just not enough properties due to building costs, regulations, land, all sorts of stuff. Um, lots of demand, not not enough inventory. But things are cooling off a little bit. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. So this might be a good time to uh, pick up a property then, potentially, right? Uh, you know what I'm telling? I'm, what I'm telling my buyers is I said, you should reconnect with me in August or September because then I'm going to have, I guess, my veritable crystal ball, right? Because I'm going to see what happened over the summer to say, because that's when high season happens. It's when all our listings are on the market and I'm going to know. And you, you I mean, I guess at demand. that time too, can you sometimes catch some like just the tail end of like, oh, these are the leftovers that are priced too high. And now the seller just says, I need to get yeah. out there and just 
So August, September, August, September. <laughs> is the time to call Amy. I think so. All right. Well, we may have to do their podcast on Amy. We uh, should. <laughs> we know we absolutely should. That'd be a really good timing. Um, let's try to do that, Jules. Um, that'd be really cool. All right. So we went through all nine points on here, Amy. I have learned a lot. I always enjoy getting to sit down and like pick your like what 20 years of expertise. Yeah, and so I get I get 20 years of expertise <laughs> and I can I get it for an hour. So thank you. And our audiences, thank you as well. Yes. Um you know, investors out there, even other agents in, in Denver, connect with Amy. She's my go-to resource. She's always treating me well, my clients well, other agents as well. So she's my go-to person. I recommend that. Uh, we'll put her contact details in the show notes. But I think amynakos.com. Amynakos.com. Yeah, N-A-K-O-S. Yeah. Um, you can connect her directly from there. All right. We went through spreadsheets. Uh, you guys can download those. We got detailed mountain trends data from your castle that Amy helps put together every six months. We're happy to share those, mm -hmm. a physical copy or a digital PDF copy, reach out to us. Um, I got everything in my checklist hit, Amy. Anything else that you want to throw in here or mention before we uh, wrap up? I just think that I'm going to give you my line where I say, if it weren't for the mountains, Denver would be Kansas City. <laughs> <laughs> and that is, you know, the mountains are why people move here for lifestyle. Yes. And it is why I love living where I live and helping people to achieve that dream, whether it be, you know, their second home or their primary. So, yeah. I love it. That's it. <laughs> Amy, thank you so much. As usual, it was fun. I learned a lot. And we'll have you back a lot sooner than five years to keep us up to date. So thank you. Thank you. Let's do it this fall. Let's catch up and see what if my predictions are true. Yes, I agree. Okay. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Reach out with any questions and drop any comments in YouTube as well. We'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.